2: And about two years ago, just before PTL fired the rockets and began to go around the world and just, we've been on a roller coaster ride. But so many people don't know behind the scenes. So many people don't know the tears and the heartaches. They see us on the air. They get a glimpse occasionally. But they don't know the broken hearts. They don't know the misunderstandings. But people don't understand that when there's a ministry in the forefront, there's some people behind the scenes paying a price. Mark it down. Mark it down.
3: Welcome back to Fraudsters. I'm Sinegazdivy. Justin Williams is here as always. Justin, do you think he was just admitting to the world that he was a fraud there? Uh, No, I think he was
4: doing like the R. Kelly thing where he's like, I admit, but then never actually says like what it is. It's just like all this other stuff, you know, to make it look like he's, you know, is paying penance, but not really, you know.
3: This man's fraud life spans decades. So, I mean, this clip here. On its face, seems like it's about like, the hard work and sacrifice of a staff. But you know, but below that, he's like, I am a prophet. It's all worth it. He spoke to me. And he also says you should write notes in your Bible. That's why he said, mark it down. Mark it down. All right, so let's just jump right in here. Last time, we left off with Jessica Hahn and the sexual assault that she suffered by Baker and Fletcher. And now that she was speaking out, there was panic within PTL. Both in front of the scene and behind the scene. And so to save his ministry, Jim Baker turned to a close friend, or what he thought was a close friend, a real friend of the church, a real friend of Jesus, a friend of the ministry, Jerry Falwell. I mean, of all the people to turn to, you turn to the Bezos of Christianity. <laughs> bah, 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 bah. And he hands his entire ministry, Justin, over to Jerry fucking Falwell. He gives the whole thing over. Now, Baker thought he would get it back, that this will all blow over and people will forget. They can't be possibly talking about just gone forever. Oh, it's going to be fine. I'm going to get my ministry back. It's all going to be fine. That was his reality. But what happened was actual reality. (laughs) And with the FCC investigation... Jessica Hahn, a year of going back and forth with Jerry Follow because there was like a a holy war in the media going on between if he stole PTL or if Jim Baker handed it to him. And let's not forget the Charlotte Observer expose. All of these things started to add up. And in December 5th, one day before my birthday, 1988, Jim Baker was charged with fraud and a whole Bunch of it. And when they caught him, when they actually went to go arrest him, Justin, they found him hiding under a bed, crying, bawling, shaking, quivering, begging not to go.
4: That's actually the most like relatable thing about Jim Baker. I, if anybody was trying to send me to
3: prison, I, they would have to find me crying and
4: shaking under a bed as well.
3: I would actually make a run for it. I would say, fuck it, I'm running. Would you run for it? I would try to find some way to get out of the country.
4: I, I would be, uh, my life would become a Tupac song. Yeah. They're trying to, they try to kill me, <laughs> trying to lock me up. Can you feel me? I got to uh, get
3: free. Oh, man. I was just thinking of California Love, so I think we have very different experiences with, with very different approaches. That's pop Tupac. You got to listen to the,
4: <laughs> I got to run. My life has no future. Everybody <laughs> around me's dead. <laughs>
3: I want to kill the system, but I don't have the means. <laughs> so what happened after that? Well, everything ended up blowing up for Jim Baker and not in a good way. Jessica Hahn didn't file a report, so no criminal charges were there. But but the fraud charges came down for diverting funds, which included the payoff to Hahn. The charges center around what we talked about at the end of last episode, those lifetime partnerships. He offered 11 different partnership programs, ranging in cost from $500 to $10,000. Eight of the partnerships promised annual lodging at Heritage Village. And in January 1984, he starts using the mail to ask for those partnerships. That's important. Many of the partners, quote, partners, didn't have much. They are not wealthy people, but they were giving anyways. And from 1984 to May of 87, he used the PTL broadcast to ask people to pay for lifetime partnerships. Baker was able to raise more than $158 million through the sale of about 153,000 partnerships with lodging benefits. He even said that he would limit the sale of those partnerships to ensure that each partner would be able to use the facilities annually. But this dude oversold everything. And so why did I say that the mail was important? Because he got charged with mail fraud and wire fraud and conspiracy. Remember we talked about cable and the wire fraud? Wire? That's literally what they're saying. The fraud is happening over a fucking wire. So we say that the the law is very complex, but it's really just like, um... How did you do it? Did you do it with the wire? Or did you do it with the little, with the little letter that you lick, lick the envelope? Okay, lick the envelope, that's mail. If you do it with the little wire, that's wire fraud. Fuck. I hate being a lawyer. So Jim Baker promises to limit the sale at the Grand Hotel Partnership to 25,000 slots. Right? So limit it. Do you know how many he sold? 66,683. Overshot it by this much. (laughs) (laughs) Then when he even got the money for those partnerships, he didn't spend it on building the facilities. At the end of the day, he only built the Grand Hotel and one bunkhouse. That was it. That's all that was completed from all that money. Here's a quote from Bill Perkins, the former head of accounting for PTL. And by the way, this guy was a real deal, true believer. He left a fancy finance job to come work at the ministry. He really believed in the work that was happening. He wanted to be a missionary. He described working at PTL as this, and he sent this to, to PTL employees as well. Creditors, suppliers, and anyone on staff who need money from the accounting department have been lied to, avoided, ignored and treated in anything but a Christian manner. He goes on. I have witnessed suppliers in person and on the phone begging to be paid to save their business only to receive a calloused, unsympathetic response. We have even lied to them. The shifting and maneuvering within the accounting department has made it impossible for any one person to have knowledge of the true status of our position with any given creditor. One person will tell the creditor that the check has been prepared, letting them assume it is on the way. When the creditor calls again and says that they haven't received the check, they most likely will talk to someone else who would say, oh, you must have misunderstood. It was typed, but awaiting signatures. Doesn't that sound fucking familiar, Dr. Cho? Jim Baker diverted those funds to pay for operating expenses. But this fool didn't just pay for operating expenses. He paid for his baller-ass lifestyle, which included a $570 shower curtain in his bathroom, private jets, a limousine, an air-conditioned treehouse for his children, and an air-conditioned doghouse. Remember that all the way back from the Cleo and Psychic Readers Network episodes? The air-conditioned doghouse was paid for by donations from people to PTL. And not to mention, not one, but two Rolls Royces. So he's convicted, and he's sentenced to 45 years in prison. 45 fucking years. This is great. This is exactly, by the way, if I heard this story today and the bad guy went away for 45 years, I think that's fair. I think that is reasonable. I think that makes a lot of sense. You defrauded people. But of course, in our criminal justice system, if you've got money, you can appeal. And in 1991, he appeals the conviction. And he and he appeals it on a few reasons. And I, 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 I'll try not to get too jargony with the legal stuff here. But I think it's important because this is where people kind of get lost in the details. But it's, it's really important that we know how the system works here. A lot of the appeal was centered on the fact that Jim Baker's attorney said there was just too much publicity on him for there to be an impartial jury. But the problem was the trial took place a full year after he had left PTL and that whole holy war that was happening in the media and the Jessica Hahn story had died down. Here's an interesting part of the appeal, though. One was on the ground that during the trial, he was unable to help his counsel because he was having a nervous breakdown. So he's basically saying there, I was incompetent or not competent enough to stand trial. I was literally losing my mind. But so what does the court do when that happens? They bring in a psychiatrist to do a competency hearing, and they said he was fine, totally competent. All the things were fine. And they said in the case, and this is like if you read the court opinion from the appeal, and this is the panel of judges say this, right? They put together an opinion. They said in the case, we conclude, therefore, that Baker's trial was free of reversible error. That means any errors of fact or fact finding or anything that we found reversible, it was free of that. They go on to say, the same, however, cannot be said of his sentencing. What? What do you mean? So get this, guys. The judge in this case, and he's got the best fucking name in the business. The judge in this case is U.S. District Court Judge Robert Maximum Bob Potter. And so in sentencing, and when you're a federal judge, there are minimum sentencing guidelines. I'm sure some of us have heard about those and how bad they are but they can also go above those minimum sentencing guidelines and go to the maximum, right? And the judge has the power to kind of like do a little bit of a monologue when they're in their sentencing. And frankly, if I was a judge, I'd be riffing for a while, you know, it'd be nice. And in his sentencing, here's what he said about Jim Baker. He had no thought whatever about his victims. And those of us who do have religion are sick of being saps for money grubbing preachers and priests. He goes on, I just feel like there was a massive fraud here and it's going to have to be punished. <sighs> Fool, why did you fucking say that shit? You cannot say that shit. You cannot, if you are a judge, say that. You could not bring your own religion and say that shit.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Completely creates the space for appeal. He's like, and personally, it's like, you can't say personally. <laughs>
3: exactly. So, why would
4: it's you? supposed to be the impartial, you know, arm of the law here.
3: Exactly. So the appeals court comes back with and this is what's really great, which I actually as like a, you know, a lawyer kid, whatever, I think this is kind of the funny part and sad part as well. Because, you know, they hated writing this. This is what the appeals court said. Whether or not the trial judge has a religion is irrelevant for the purposes of sentencing, said the opinion. The imposition of a lengthy prison term here that may have reflected the fact that the court's own sense of religious propriety had somehow been betrayed. People, if this happens to you, and this happened to Jim Baker, his due process rights were violated. That's it. That's what that is. When we talk about due process, how you get from charged with a crime to going to prison, due process means that's fair the entire way. They went through every single fucking part And at the very end, they violated his due process rights. That's the Constitution. And here's what's great. The appeals court ends with saying we remand this case with genuine reluctance because Baker's assignments of error at the trial phase only underscore proceeding, which was fairly conducted in the face of trying circumstances with genuine reluctance. I mean, this is tough for a, a, an appeals court to do. And so we always say the, you know, the criminal justice system is unfair. There are people there that are trying to be fair. And there are times when these judges are like, fuck my life, I cannot believe I have to do this. So often we hear about federal judges that have to give out minimum sentencing in federal crimes, in federal cases, and they hate doing it. So when they remand the case, Baker ends up getting a positive hearing back at the district level again, and instead of the 45 years, he gets sentenced to eight and only serves five. He's out in fucking five
0: years.
4: 158 million in theft, five years.
3: And a sexual assault.
0: Yeah. Emmy Award-winning John Mullaney presents Everybody's in L.A
5: Beverly Hills Investing showed me that it's possible for any American to access 7, 12, 18, even 23% returns with smart real estate investing. So, what are you waiting for? Go to beverlyhillsinvesting.com now, and maybe you'll join me. Poolside.
3: All right, welcome back, everybody. You know, one of the things that Uh, I always notice is that we don't really talk too much about what people did in prison or like what, you know, people were like in prison. We always hear like they went to prison for X, like Martha Stewart, insider trading. Then she got out of prison and she's looking at her life now. We never really think about, like, what was it like in prison? Like, what did you do every single day? And I think there was maybe some stuff about Martha Stewart doing stuff. But, you know, OJ went to prison for a little while, not for the murders. What do you think OJ was doing in prison the whole time, Justin? I don't
4: know. He's probably telling a lot of naked gun stories, you know? Yeah. I would imagine. I can imagine that. I think, you know, I think I, I think Bill Cosby actually has, the day he went into prison, he actually uh, reversed his previous stance on belonging to gangs from what I've heard.
3: (laughs) Well, that's funny you bring that up because the thing you have to do in prison, like any other reasonable person, is join a gang. You got to join a gang. And so it's 1990. Jim Baker's one year in on a 45-year stretch. Now, remember, we talked about how he got out in five years, but it's 1990. He doesn't get appealed until 91. So he... He's just in the appeal process. He doesn't see an end in sight anywhere. And in his book, I Was Wrong, he says that he tried to join any organization in the prison that expressed an interest in having me. Can you imagine eager fucking Jim Baker scurrying around the prison, asking, Hey, excuse me, won't you guys take me into the, the crochet group? Or oh, do the Bloods want me? Do the Crips want me? please take me praise jesus hello
4: gentlemen i just want to wish you a great word from jesus christ now if i could join the mau mau black revolutionaries of the nation of (laughs) islam that would be really great for me okay get away get away you swine eating white devil okay okay i'll just take my tray and go down to this end of the table praise jesus
3: well what do you think though i actually thought if he did, like, try to go after any organization that would have him, that's almost the scariest possible thing to do in prison. Tiny, five-foot-six Jim Baker running in there to, like, the Crips and being like, hey, you guys need somebody? And they'd be like, this motherfucker is crazy. This guy is, this guy is a murderer.
4: <laughs> yeah, he had a, he had a week-long stint with the essays. It was a crazy time. <laughs>
3: He's like, I would love to join you, white boys, but you all have bad haircuts. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he didn't join the Bloods. He didn't join the Crips. He didn't join, you know, the uh, you know the Nazis. He joined the JCs, and the JCs weren't as much of a gang as they were actually a small mafia within the prison system. They're the ones who ensure pay-per-views and movies flow smoothly through the prison. Again, weren't a gang. They were actually a prison liaison organization and they exist outside of of prisons and they have uh satellite branches in prisons throughout the country. It's actually a, a very old organization that's been around for almost a 100 years. And what they do is they raise money for inmates to do certain events. So they have things like and this is from Baker's book again. They raised money for the inmate family Christmas dinner, which sounds like a mad TV sketch, by the way. It's, it's, like, it's like gifts for the inmates uh, at children at Christmas. So they got gifts for the for the inmates' children. Uh, uh, the Fourth of July parties, you know, nothing like uh, celebrating your independence and freedom with not having independence or freedom. So that worked out well for them. Uh, and and then he also says in the book, they uh, made sure to get pay-per-view events, movies in the television room, and quote other programs. I wonder what other programs really means. What kind of other programs inmates would need? I'm I'm guessing films
4: that films that have 34 sequels. <laughs> No, my favorite is the inmate family Christmas dinner. The guy's just carving the turkey with a sharpened toothbrush. Favorite <laughs> <laughs> the besides the ones that are clearly porn, he's just like, it was my job to make sure that we had WrestleMania
3: 18. Hell in a Cell really brought everyone together under Jesus. <laughs> so when you look into the who the JCs were and what inmates say about them when they're out of prison and from interviews that I've read, The reason people joined the JCs is because of the power it gives you in the prison system. And Jim Baker became the executive secretary of this organization. This guy was like a regular, you know, Rupert Murdoch inside of his prison. He controlled the flow of media. And you're probably wondering, okay, well, how did these guys raise money? So they raised money, Justin, by, by... It's too, it's so creepy. And I really want to find these photos. If people have these photos, please tell me. They raised money by doing photo shoots for the prisoners and that they would send these photos home to their families. And the prisoners would pay the JCs from their commissary fund. They all had a little bit of money and they worked for pennies on the dollar and whatever job they had in prison. But what they would do is they would spend that money Give it to the JCs. They would do like a photo booth. And remember, Jim Baker used to produce a variety show when he was in high school and he loved to make uh, shows and events. So this feeds right into Jim Baker's like wheelhouse. Jim Baker is producing photo shoots. And what they do, they take half the money to pay for the photo shoot and the other part of the money they would use to fund these events and to get WrestleMania and porn. Into the into the
4: prison. It's almost as if uh, uh, Bernie Madoff being asked to run like the prison pension fund or something like that.
3: The pension fund has never done better. Twenty percent return every single year, guaranteed. This is what's amazing, I think, about this whole photo shoot thing in the JCS is that again, Jim Baker is taking money from vulnerable people. These guys are making pennies on the dollar, and they're giving whatever little bit they have for the fleeting hope or moment or that 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 joy that they would get from giving money, getting their photo taken, and sending it to their family. What do you think, Justin? Am I wrong? Am I way off?
4: Yeah, think about it. You're locked in prison and your wife or girlfriend is out there in the world and you might be in there for a few years. you know how desperate you are to get her a photo of your arm curl progress? Yeah, exactly. Just to let her know you're working on yourself. Like, please, you know, I'm sexy.
3: But but Justin, that's not all he was doing. There was an organization called GATA which stood for Growth Awareness and Development Association. And this club actually replaced the NAACP club at the prison. Yes, yes, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, that, that, NAACP. And in this group, Justin, there were two white guys, Jim Baker (laughs) and Lyndon LaRouche, the political fanatic LaRouche, the man who whose students had the most annoying table at my college. I remember like them constantly talking about like land bridges. Justin, I'm wondering if you could do just like a quick primer on LaRouche being the historian of the group here.
4: So Lyndon LaRouche is a pretty complicated historical figure. He is a person, I would say, from my historical analysis, who has gravitated towards all kinds of extreme, easy explanations to offer society. He starts off as a member of like the radical new left. Um, and so he becomes a person that's like, I have perfected this form of Marxism that will like reform society. Right. And he's like a new left intellectual. Uh, but then by the time you go, you're going through the seventies and the eighties, he becomes like a single issue conspiracy theorist that runs for president out of every state in the union at some point. Uh, very much becomes like a, a fringe figure that starts spreading conspiracy theories about mainstream politicians to the point to where he actually starts attracting federal attention on himself. Also, a lot of this involves building a cult of personality and like like uh, compounds and private security and misuse of campaign funds
3: and stuff like that. I mean, it's not easy to get on every ballot in the country. Like, he had people backing him. There was a good number of people that wanted him to, like, be president. Any, I think as a, as a rule, anybody that runs for president more than
4: twice that isn't Joe Biden is out of their mind. <laughs> now, LaRouche runs for president how
3: many times? Does he run, like, f- at least four times,
4: right? Yeah,
6: yeah,
3: so many times. It was, like, constant. And But LaRouche was in prison, though, for a 15-year sentence for mail and tax fraud, and he would actually only serve about eight And, like, Jim Baker is obsessed with this guy. He dedicates a whole chapter in his book to him. They were cellmates, actually, for just a month. But Baker loved his knowledge of the Bible. So I'm sure I could just, again, imagine very eager Jim Baker in the cell. Can't stop his little energy going. Just... Well, Linda, can you tell me about the book of revelations and what's going to happen? Tell me that story again, like a lullaby, Mr. LaRouche.
4: I always took this as an allegory for the triumph of the true form of socialism, which I am cultivating at this house in Arizona. And it's like, oh, that's really interesting, Lyndon. <laughs> now, if you read this, I have a conspiracy theory about how the CIA actually put me in prison because I knew the truth about the act what was actually on Richard Nixon's Watergate tapes. <laughs> uh it was actually an R. Kelly mixtape, but people don't want to let you know that. They the, the the authorities and Congress is also involved in this so well as well, you know. And it's just like, oh, the, you know, I could, I can see it. Like it's it's two guys who are able to spin a world and make other people live in the world with exactly. them.
3: And 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 LaRouche actually thought that uh, Reagan and Bush both plotted to put Baker and him in prison.
4: <laughs> so I like the idea of Ronald Reagan and George Bush plotting against him, Baker. It's like, uh, uh, Mr. President, we have uh, Mikhail Gorbachev on the phone. Make him wait. I, uh, I want the update on LaRouche.
3: <laughs> but my favorite quote that I found from the Associated Press was, since they were only together for about a month in the same cell... Larouche was actually relieved when Baker uh, was was not his cellmate anymore. Uh, he said to the Associated Press that Baker had a quote big retinue of admirers around the prison that would constantly come around. <laughs> A retinue, by the way, is like a bunch of a bunch of advisors or people like he had a lot of like the j c s and he was a very important person there, so you have like a retinue of people, your entourage, if you will, a little vocab moment for anybody
4: he had everybody he had the warden's assistant, he had the snacks locker guy, he had the toothbrush commissary dude as part of his admirers uh the prison barber. He had the dude that had access to the extra 45 weight plate. Everybody had to come kiss the ring. Everybody, yeah. Yeah, these guys just went and built an empire in there.
3: So that's Jim Baker's time in prison. And I wanted to make sure that we got a little bit of an idea of how this guy really didn't stop while he was in prison. He kept going. There's something about this man's energy that I find interesting and how you it's almost manic to a certain degree where you can't even take a moment and stop and just reflect on how you've defrauded all of these people. You're just constantly, he's like, he's running away from everything constantly. And then he ended up getting out in 94, serving only five years of that. Yeah. It's amazing
4: how much he, he can't stop hustling. And he goes into prison. He immediately finds an, another hustler. They gravitate towards each other. Like they get a hustle going, they get in on another hustle. Right? You know what I mean? They're like, we'll be the white guys that use uh the sort of the guise of like the civil rights movement in order for us to sort of operate our own political operation here and shape our own narrative too. It makes but it's really this is actually giving us like contacts and legitimacy within the prison system. Also protection, right? You probably don't get to uh The GATA guys are probably off target, like off uh, the GATA guys are probably off uh, limits when it comes to attacking. Right. So it's like a way of joining the Nation of Islam, but not really. You know what I mean? And this is and if you want to see Bikini Beach Babes 39, this guy can't be in solitary. He has to be he has to be untouched in order for us to get that
3: pay-per-view. He is a necessary evil.
0: No one fucks with Jim Baker.
3: You know, we talk a lot about Jim Baker, but we also, and we talked about Jessica Hahn as a victim. And we also want to talk about the victims of PTL, the 150 or 160,000 people that ended up giving money to PTL. Now, there was a class action suit uh, that happened. And now class action suits, I'm sure you've heard of before, but it's basically when a bunch of people have a similar gripe and then they get put into a class and then a lawyer... (laughs) Uh, takes it upon themselves to go and sue the person who was responsible. And in this case, it wasn't just Jim Baker, but it was also the accounting firm. It was a board member. Anyone that they thought one had deep pockets and two did something wrong. Maybe that's reverse. But really, if you think about reality, they're going after deep pockets first and two trying to rope them in because if Jim Baker was doing some fraudulent shit, presumably other people around him were doing some fraudulent shit.
4: Oh, uh, also uh, Class Action is also the name of one of the pay-per-views that Jim Baker uh, was responsible for ordering (laughs) into the prison. But it actually took place in a school. It's a different film. It's not a legal drama.
3: Yeah, yeah. This is very different. Uh, So in this case, they have to name people. So in this case, there was Joseph Teague, Helen Teague, Stephen... Alan Barker, Rita Strahowski, Swanee Beck, Karen Perez Tucker. But the point of naming the people in the class action suit is to get a diverse group of people, both from backgrounds and from economics and from the stories that they have, but that are all united under the same kind of general story of fraud. And the fraud here obviously was PTL overselling all of those lifetime partnerships. And man, I researched this class action case, and it is boring as shit. You know, and this is what's frustrating, is that there's tons of news articles about, you know, what Jim Baker did here, what Jim Baker did there. But, like, I don't know anything about Joseph Teague or Swanee Beck or Karen Perez Tucker. I don't know anything about these folks. And, like, yes, we tried to hunt them down. We tried to reach out. No, we didn't get anywhere because we are on a grind here, folks, and we're trying to deliver the content to you as beautifully and succinctly as possible over the course of three hours, (laughs) which is so fucking long. The point here is that the stories that we remember are not about the victims. Maybe one day we'll do like a catch-up and try to figure out what the stories of these specific people were, but we do know that they were named in this class action case. And I'll go into it a little bit. We won't cover it too much here, but the accounting firm was Deloitte Haskins and Sells, (DHS), And they were the ones who apparently were supposed to say, Hey, Jim Bob, you said you would cap the memberships, but you didn't and were oversold. They never said that. And during this time when he was selling all of these memberships to everyone around the world, basically, the board, and a board member was also named in this class action suit, was approving half million dollar bonuses to Tammy Faye and Jim Baker. So the accounting firm is paying out these bonuses. The board is approving these bonuses. And meanwhile, they're overselling all of these partnerships. No one ever thought anything was wrong with any of this. So of course, the jury in this case is pissed. They are angry. And they knew though, going in, that Jim Baker was already in prison because this is happening after he's already been convicted criminally. And they know the guy's only making a few cents on the dollar, but it's important to show the wrong that he did. Because if, you if you're broke, it doesn't matter if someone you know makes a billion-dollar judgment against you. You can't pay. You can't pay. But the jury didn't find Baker guilty of the RICO statutes or the conspiracy. They didn't find that the accounting firm was liable. They didn't find that the board was liable for greenlighting all those bonuses. They didn't find that the money that people sent uh, into PTL was a timeshare, which you can argue is an investment product. None of the other like ancillary arguments uh, were found to be of merit to the jury, except for one common law fraud, basic run of the mill fraud. You say a misleading statement, someone depends on that misleading statement and then they lose out because of it. Jim Baker lied about those fucking memberships and those partnerships People depended on those because they sent the money in, and then they lost that money. There was nothing left for them. There was no fucking fancy Disney park for them to go to eventually. So the jury in this case awarded actual damages of $129 million and punitive damages of just around $130,000. Okay, so punitive damages versus actual damages. If you don't know what that is, totally fine, very reasonable, nothing to be sad about, okay? Okay. Punitive damages are like a fine. So you fucked up, we're going to fine you so that you never do this again. For Jim Baker, that was $130,000 basically, okay? And there's some reports that say that he actually paid that much over time after he got out of prison. But the actual damages are the damages done by the fraud itself, right? This is how much it cost all of the people in the class to be defrauded by you. The jury in this case is saying it cost them $129 million. So, uh, so they do that knowing that the $129 million is never going to get collected because the only person they found guilty was Jim Baker, and Jim Baker's broke. He's got nothing. He gave his ministry to Jerry fucking Falwell. He's got no assets. He's in prison. He's making cents on the dollar, and that's it.
4: You steal big, and then when they come to collect, you show them your W-2 that says you only make $0.11 cents an hour pressing license plates. <laughs>
3: Exactly. I mean, that's confusing to me. And like, Justin, I went and I was like researching one. I'm sure you get to this point uh, when you're doing like history research and stuff. But like it gets so nuanced. Then you see like one line and you're just like, how the fuck did this happen? And then you can't find another thing. And There's barriers all over the place and people aren't talking about it. They just forget how a whole part of history worked or they forget to report on it or the media didn't care enough. I couldn't find out how much people actually got paid out, if any, but I did see one line and there was, uh, there is like a bucket of money that gets, that happens, right? And there are a couple of reports that say that the $130,000 was put into this bucket of money and some people got some money from it. What's funny is that to be in the class, you have to opt in, right? You may have gotten one from Facebook or one of these other big tech companies, if they ever did anything, you got to fill out a form and like, say like, hey, I want to be part of the class. So in this one line I saw on a court case, you know, from like 2002, it said of the money that is left over in the class action suit, everything that is left over will go to the Billy Graham Foundation. Another fucking evangelist Christian fraudster. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Oh, I just can't. I just don't even know what to even make of it anymore. I it just for me, it's just it got so confusing that I felt bad that I wasn't able to find out more about it and that there was this dearth of information on Jim Baker, but not nearly enough on the hundred and fifty or one hundred and sixty thousand people. So if you're out there and your parents could have been part of this class or if you were part of this class, if you're an older person that donated money in the 80s to the PTL. Reach out to us, fraudsterslpn at Gmail. We want to talk with you. I really want to do a little recap on this to try to figure out if we could talk to some of the people in the class that were defrauded by him and what that felt like and what that experience was like. And if you and we already got a couple people that reached out from our first two episodes about how they went to Heritage USA, and what kind of experience that was. So we'll probably cover that uh, in like a recap episode in a little bit here. All right, Justin, we got to the end here, man. We're finally to the end of the Jim Baker story. Decades of stuff here. You know, uh, I don't know if I told you this, but I didn't really know. You know, uh, we did the Karen Hunter show before and, and months ago. That's on SiriusXM. One time Karen asked me if I knew what the Holy Ghost was. It's like the Trinity of something or whatever. I don't know. I have no idea. I didn't grow up with any of this stuff. But I didn't know the, the Holy Ghost was when you get taken by the Lord by the energy and you do the holy roller thing and you go you go nuts. This this series made me learn intimately what the Holy Ghost really is and how how nuts you could go from it. We're like we were, I was watching the uh, Chasing Mike. The Evander Holyfield went to one of these televangelists and caught the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting
4: thing. Like, uh, I I grew grew up in a lot of black evangelical Protestant churches, right? Uh, So my grandmother would attend a lot of holiness churches. Uh, That's also a form of uh, Christianity where it's very common for people to catch the spirit. Uh, my mom didn't really care for it though. She thought of us catching the spirit as a very performative act.
3: Yeah, exactly. Right? Like that's just not real. Like you're just, you're just. You gotta get something out of your body. Maybe you're, you're not a big drinker. It's like one of those things. Like, what's your vice? It's like, nah. I just roll around on the floor every Sunday. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't have too much sex. <laughs> I just, I go nuts when I catch the Holy Ghost on Sundays. Yeah, but there are other
4: religions like uh voodoo in Benin or uh or mm. or there's type, there's forms of Islam, right, where they say uh you know people can work themselves up uh to a level to where the spirit world crosses into the
3: material world. The twirling dervishes where they do the spin, uh the Sufis, yeah. Uh, those guys are all doing there's, there's a physical connection to the spiritual world, if you will, that happens in some of these religions. Is that what you're saying?
4: Uh yes. But I am too ashamed to roll on the floor in front of people. There.
3: Yeah, no, it just seems very weird and performative. So like I was saying, Jim Baker is the hardest working fraudster in the business. But he gets out of prison and he, he gets right back into it, basically. You know, in uh, 2003, he gets out in like 94. So he takes a little bit of time to figure out, get his feet. He forms the Morningside Church Incorporated. So this is his new venture. Jim Baker is like if Ivan Drago kept getting back up at Rocky 5 everyone's like yeah he's in prison it's like oh he's back it's like oh yeah he's he's getting a class action suit oh no he's back again this man doesn't quit and soon he f- he forms this new show with his new wife but it's in this time it's in Branson Missouri and it's called Morningside USA this is heritage 2.0 smaller more depressing Less money, still the same crazy. I mean, he's still doing it. He's still making his own little place that he, he brought up out of nothing. He built this little Heritage 2.0. And there's no more PTL, obviously. But it's also no more people that love. He's not doing this kind of like sweet Jim Baker anymore. Pastor Jim is now doing the end of times approach. This is about sending donations to get back doomsday prepping supplies, because when the earthquakes come and the heavens open up, you better have this 30 day family fiesta bucket of dried chicken. (laughs) So he's selling these buckets of food and they're called like Tasty Pantry Bucket and the Staying Alive Bucket. And he's selling them because he constantly is talking about the end of times. And I don't know if a lot of people saw that, but in 2020, when coronavirus was just picking up, he must have been hard as a rock during this whole time period because he's like, I've been talking about the end of times and it's actually happening. This is fantastic. I've been right. It took me until I'm 80, but I'm right about something. He had this woman on to talk about
2: selling the cure for coronavirus. This influenza that is now circling the globe you're saying that silver solution would be effective.
6: Well, let's say it hasn't been tested on this strain of the coronavirus, but it's been tested on other strains yeah. of the coronavirus and has been uh, able to eliminate it within 12 hours. Yeah. Totally yeah. eliminate it, kills it, and deactivates it. Yeah. And then it boosts your immune system so then you can support the recovery because when you kill the virus, then the immune system comes into action to clear it out. So you want a vibrant immune system as yeah. well as an ability to deactivate these viruses. That's so good.
3: <laughs> that was <laughs> that was his new wife. Lynn, that's so good. Oh, I I drink it. I sprinkle it on my eggs in the morning. Oh, I like it.
4: Just I just I <laughs> It's just like that is if somebody asked me to give a medical presentation, that's like what it would sound like. So what you need to do yeah. with this is to deactivate. See, the virus has activator in it. But if you deactivate the virus, that means it is no longer activated. Yes. And also, do you need to boost the immune system? Up, oh, because you have an immune system. But once you boost it like base boost. Oh, in the headphones. Yeah. And then th- then that begins the decertification process of the virus, I would say.
3: Oh, it sounds like it's got a lot of vitamin C and a lot of iron and potassium in it. Mm.
4: Yes. And all of these ingredients are natural, organic, fair trade, GMO, Whole Foods, bicycle. Exactly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just love I mean- He just is amazing. And thank the Lord, Tish James, Attorney General of New York, sent a cease and desist order to Jim Baker, not to mention the Trump administration, not Trump himself, but the Trump administration, his FDA, sent letters, along with the FTC, telling him that he had to stop. (laughs) And the Washington Post did a good write-up on this. They said, the advertisements during the show, from the clip that, that we just played, they had advertisements plastered across the screen those seeking a cure for coronavirus or other illnesses could get four tubes of silver solution gel for $80 at jimbakershow.com or for 125 dollars they could buy a variety pack of two bottles of silver solution liquid two tubes of gel and three lozenges Um, Trump administration,
4: FDA actually sent a cease and desist letter because they're like, hey, we're trying to hawk all this hydroxychloroquine over here. You can't be hawking your fake cure, you know?
3: Exactly. Yo, this is my fraud territory. Don't you fucking step on my shit. Like, this is what's, I I just can't. It's like, you don't, I own the fraud. You don't own, don't fuck with my fraud. Hey, you, don't fuck with my fraud. Hey, (laughs) you, don't fuck with my fraud. So I looked up what silver solution actually was, and it's colloidal silver, which is basically just a solution with actual silver flakes in it. And and people say it does shit. I mean, it really does nothing. Okay, guys? It does does fucking nothing. If it did, folks, by the way, remember, if it did do something, we'd all be fucking using it. Okay? Everyone would be on the silver solution. If silver actually had this type of quality, gold would not be the most precious metal in the fucking world right now. Okay? Although silver is a good thing to invest in right now because gold's overpriced. That's just uh, your quick finance tip for the day. i tell you who doesn't like silver solution. Werewolves. Yes. Werewolves have been running. They've been trying to buy all the silver to short the market, I hear, to try to just just gut the market of silver. Because it's bad, bad news for them. They don't want it. But, but thankfully... The government, I can't believe I'm saying this, the government actually acted pretty quickly in this case when it came to Jim Baker going on his television show and saying that he had the cure for coronavirus. The credit card companies also acted really quickly because the credit card companies knew that if they have their lines or their wires, and we talked about wire fraud, wires, if their lines where transactions get processed through are involved in a fraud, like let's say creating a transaction that puts a buyer and a seller of a fake cure for coronavirus together, they could be liable in case someone decides to take this silver solution and has coronavirus and then dies. So think about that. Now, Jim Baker can't accept credit card payments. Now he's got to ask people for money to send checks in. And I tried to call... The Jim Baker show, and ask about this, but I posed as my wife, and and I gave them her name, and I said, I said, yeah, I just want to know like how I could donate because I heard you guys can't take credit card payments anymore. And the guy immediately was like, "Is this a crank caller?" I was like, "Oh, me? No." And I guess when you drop your name as Cosmo, they immediately think that you're a crank caller. So, I mean, if you want to call a Jim Baker show and try to find out for me, that'd be really great because uh, right now he's just begging people to send in checks and he's still talking about the end of the world. Justin, I just want to get, before we go, a quick reflection about all this, these three episodes. We only thought we were going to do two, but then there was so much stuff, we ended up doing three. How do you feel at the end of all this?
4: I feel that we've recapped a hustler that just can't stop hustling. Like every day he'll hustle until we stop him. Like, and we haven't stopped him, so he's just gonna keep hustling.
3: People have tried to stop him. People have tried to speak out. We heard Jessica Hahn last episode saying, you know, he is still on TV. And it's amazing to me that we live in a country where there's just, if you have your little niche audience that believes you, you could do whatever you want. And I guess that's freedom. That's what it means in America to be free. And I always say this, like freedom of speech and freedom means you are free to be manipulated. And it's like, this is what we're just far too okay with. And maybe we're prey to some sort of fraud that we get manipulated into at some point. But like, this to me is just wrong on every single fundamental level. And it, it's not Christianity, right? This is not Christianity. This is some weird part of Christianity that they are trying to, to, to pawn off or, or it's really just capitalism. This band is just making money on the backs of vulnerable people that are looking to have faith and connection and community. And you know what? I guess God bless them.
4: As the, the great band Skunkanazi said, they're selling Jesus again. They're selling Jesus again. They want your soul and your money and your boat. They're selling Jesus again. You know that song?
3: No, not at all. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but I it's love it. It's on the
3: strange day, strange day soundtrack. Well, Spotify, the strange day soundtrack. If you have it already, uh, th- this was great. I'm at CNN now on all social media, Justin, where can people find you? I think you're all always on Facebook, right? And yes, yeah, so if you send me, uh, uh,
4: email to me at justinwilliamscomedy.com, I will come to your house.
3: Absolutely right. He will come to your house. Even if you're second wave infected, I think you've said before, uh, which we're still in the first wave, I guess. It's not even a thing. I'm a chicken now. (laughs) Guys, thank you so much. FrostrousLP at gmail.com. Thanks for all the stories. Thanks for all the stuff. We're going to keep going. Uh, We got a great show for you next week as well. We're going to be pivoting a little bit to um, not someone that pillages from the vulnerable, but from takes from wealthy people, which will be a very nice change of pace from the episodes that we've been doing. This was a production of the last podcast, Network, and Zero Cool Media special thanks to hazel Bryan. big big thanks to hazel brian actually because she helped us navigate this whole this whole sexual assault thing and it was really difficult for us to find the language around it at times so i really appreciate her guidance on that that's good producers what we call that good producing uh special thanks to marie anderson for her edits as always and emily fusco on research all right everybody we'll see you next time